Well, hello and welcome to episode 170B of The Cool Room. 170B, we've never had a letter applied to a podcast uh, title before. Uh, 170A was a fantastic afternoon that we had with Moondog down at the Flemington and Kensington Bowling Club. An awesome afternoon was had by everyone in attendance and a big thank you to, first of all, Chris Bond from Moondog and all of our cool roomans who turned up. Uh, We had a ball, uh, but upon review, it's fair to say that uh, editing what was an awesome into a listenable to podcast turned out to be a task too far. So 170A will never appear. 170B is going to be an awesome night as we gather together with Other Side Brewing. We've got four great beers lined up from them. If you're listening along at home, uh, we've already enjoyed the IPA in our pre-show. We're going to be kicking off tonight with the Cloudburst Hazy IPA, then the Harvest Red Ale, and then the Headliner Double IPA. We've got a couple of those tasting packs left on our Shopify. If not, as the night goes on, you can learn where you can get those beers from, uh, including uh, directly from the other side at their venue. Before we do any more of that, though, let me welcome Mr. Warren Wu, one of the many reasons, including myself, that the uh, podcast from Sunday is essentially unusable. How are you, Mr. Wu, and um, have you read the questions in advance of tonight, unlike Sunday? No, I also haven't read the questions. (laughs) But, you know, it's like we, we were all prepared for Sunday to not be as excellent as as it should have been it should i don't know yeah it was good um, it's, it's happening chris, again it's happening again yeah, it is happening again. chris was amazing um he was terrific well i think we we're all a little bit excited to be out in the wild and uh that just led to shenanigans but it was still heaps of fun so and chris chris has actually said we we should we should sit down with him sometime and and try to glean something of all of that um, Absolutely, and go back and check the archives from the many other visits that Moondog have had in the cool room. And um, excited to be out in the wild, Warren. That might be our first T-shirt of the of the night. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, without further ado, let's let's welcome uh, Reese and Braden to the podcast from Other Side Brewing. Um, how are you go both going, guys? Yeah, fantastic. Ah, yeah, Excellent. Excellent. Um, so straight into it, what we normally do uh, as a tradition, particularly, and it doesn't work with a single guest, but <laughs> with two, it's perfect. Um, would you mind introducing each other? Maybe Braden can start with Reese. Um, can you tell tell us uh, about Reese and what he does, and perhaps? Enlighten us with his favourite beer that isn't another side beer. Oh, um, so is that why you were asking me what my favourite beer yes, is? Yes, and, okay. and you didn't ask me Oh, about. there's a bit of niggle oh, already. I, I love it. <laughs> I know you don't know. Yeah, so Reese is the head brewer of Other Side Brewing Company, one of the um, OGs uh, around these parts. Um, originally, you were a... Uh, journalist were you uh well you yeah. aiming to be a workhorse one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I did journalism but then i fell into the beer industry which was in the super scene yeah, in uh, yeah. Fremantle in 2000 
2005. Yeah. See, mixed background. <laughs> uh, yeah. Otherwise, really cool guy. Uh, heart and soul of this place around here. Um, loves a beer, but loves. Uh, you said Orval. You love. Yeah, or- Orval would probably be one of my my number one loved beers. There you go. Oh. Is that yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Once yeah. I, I think I think you're cheating if you ask the question in advance. Really, well, I didn't know why he was asking. talking about it. it was- <laughs> This is really an opportunity to sledge someone by saying, you know, that whenever they're wandering around the brewery, even if they're making some fancy pants double IPA, what they're really knocking back is a couple of swans or something like that. Make no mistake, Reese definitely tells you what he does and doesn't like all the time. Anyway, so I have a roster of 15 things. <laughs> also, Swan is a brewer's favourite in the craft beer scene in Western Australia. Um, only recently, I think, supplanted by Dingo. Which is a, another kind of Aussie style uh, lager made by made by the former head brewer of Swan. So yeah, oh, there you there go. You go. Normally we expect our scoops of the night to come much later on in the evening after a beer or two. <laughs> but I feel like we've got we've WA Brewers drink Swan. There's our scoop. I think we can turn off the recording now. One hundred percent. If 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 you're drinking with a brewer and uh, they turn their nose up at Swan, you're like, nah, too pretentious. Not a brewer. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good. I like that. As a rule, that's really good. That's yeah. yeah because I mean, you can't take yourself too seriously, man. It's just beer, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love that attitude. That is excellent. That is excellent. Um, now, Reese, would you like to uh, would you like to introduce Braden and tell us all about? Uh, I would absolutely love yeah. to Braden. Uh, Braden so, is uh, uh, just before for, for people who are listening to the podcast. Rather than joining us on Zoom, we really encourage people to join us on Zoom on a Thursday night. I've got to set the scene a bit here because in 170 podcasts, I don't think I've ever seen someone go, yes, I'd like to answer this question of introducing my friend, <laughs> and then move the camera onto themselves. Yeah, I don't want any rebuttals. Mention, mention. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, so um, uh, Braden's our... Uh, uh, branding uh, and guy. Um, he's been, how long have you been with us now? 18 months? Yeah, yeah. Year and a half? Yeah, yeah. Um, Brayden is a Canadian, not an American. Uh, he has a great collection of shoes. Um, I'm impressed, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a boots guy, you know, like uh, I, I, as someone that gets to, you know, kind of um, uh, dabble in, in those kinds of uh, uh, fashion decisions. Um, Brayden is a, uh, incredibly Canadian in that I've never heard him say anything negative about anyone. And he's very good at talking me down when I'm angry and getting a good resolution. Um, uh, yeah. All around good guy. He gave me three crabs the other day, which was great. Uh, <laughs> a little linguine out of it. So just <laughs> yeah. Nah, um, I'm sure he does other stuff. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot to work with there. I don't really know where to start. In, in, <laughs> in terms of non other side beers. Uh, in terms of non other side beers, there's there one thing, and he knows what I'm going to say. Brayden constantly harasses me for a pumpkin ale. Um, obviously, yes. American style. Um, uh, but I keep reminding Brayden that pumpkin season <laughs> in Australia, well, you know, the main kind of pumpkin season isn't isn't uh, Halloween. Mm. You know, like we're in a we're in a different hemisphere, so it's it's a different it's a different situation. It's a bit of a heavy beer for summer, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, but like, uh, I, I, I promise him I will do it, but uh, not with other side because it won't sell. <laughs> Braden, Braden, are there any are there any boots that are so nice you wouldn't wear them onto the brewery floor? 
No, no, I set very carefully. Ren. I, <laughs> I predict all the puddles and all the spilled, you know, spent grain and malt and all that. So yeah, we 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 have a we have a pad that the carpet walkers don't really come up to. So it's all right. Oh, carpet walkers. Yeah, it's carpet walkers and steel caps, you know. So uh, and uh, and uh, the, the carpet walkers, they 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 try, they know to keep themselves clean by not not entering our zone. You know, there's a lot of a lot of heavy metal, a lot of swearing. White tower. Walkers. <laughs> I like this, Mr. Wu. I think we've already got a, a bit of healthy competition here between the uh, the front of house and the back of house. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, pumpkin out, yeah, pumpkin out. I've I've just totally gone off track. I've, it's a continuation of Sunday. Um, I so. Y- Let's talk about let's let's go quickly on the before we talk about the beer, which I've already finished, which is par for the course for me. Um, but before we go to the beer itself, let's talk about where you guys are. You are in such an amazing part of the world. I was lucky enough to be in Fremantle a couple of uh, uh, four weeks ago. Um, unfortunately, not lucky enough to visit you guys, but the guys at Darling Darling saw me every night. And they great venue, uh, awesome venue. Yeah, they're yeah, and they're, they're just a terrific. So anyone who wants to just Google Darling Darling, it's most amazing for that and terrific people too. Um, but yeah, Fremantle has so much to offer, including uh, you guys. Tell us about Fremantle. Tell us about where it is in the world, and 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 you guys in particular in Fremantle, and particularly for overseas listeners who may oh, yeah. never have heard of a Fremantle before. Yeah, so Fremantle is um, uh, so Perth is the capital city of Western Australia. Fremantle is is just down uh, down the river um, on the on the other side of the uh, the Swan River. Um, Fremantle is you know it's Perth is is one of those places probably one of the the kind of superlative places superlative examples of just uh, a, an endless kind of suburban sprawl. Um, I think it's one of the largest kind of cities in. In uh, in the southern hemisphere for that, like not in terms of population, just in terms of how spread out it is. Um, so Fremantle is kind of enveloped in in that kind of uh, uh, suburban um, kind of endless uh, suburban thing. But Fremantle's got you know quite a like you know uh, unique kind of bohemian kind of culture. Um, it's 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 definitely changed um, uh, over the last kind of since uh, Fremantle won the America's Cup. Um, was like a, a big, a big significant thing in the eighties for. for I mean, the, Australia won it, but it was raced in Fremantle. Oh, Alan, Alan Bond Rio like claims it. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, the People's Republic of Fremantle is not really. The succession genes run strong. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, you know, when I think of Alan Bond, I think of the Matilda Bay Brewing Company, but that's my personal uh, interest. Oh. Oh, good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, so Rio, yeah, just a really, um, yeah, artsy, bohemian kind of uh, uh, community. Uh, quite a small town vibe. Um, it is the home of uh, birthplace of craft beer in Australia twice. First with um, first with Matilda Bay and then again in 2000 with uh, Little Creatures. Um, I, I think, you know, there's the, the, there's the area around Fremantle where most of the kind of craft beer was being drunk um, prior to maybe 10 years ago in Western Australia, like before it really spread to the mainstream, you could still go into any pub in, in Frio and get, get a, a range of local craft beer options. Uh, 
there's a number of venues that have always championed craft beer. Um, and yeah, it's, um, and with, you know, within, within throwing distance, there's, there's little creatures and gauge roads and all that kind of stuff. And those big production facilities have really um, uh, created a, a fantastic array of, of uh, craft beer professionals in, you know, production and sales and various other capacities that have gone on throughout Australia um, to, to be, you know, involved in, in a, lot of, um, a lot of really fantastic uh, operations. And let's go, let's dig down then um, more with you guys. When did you guys start? Uh, when, yeah, there, there's such an amazing craft beer history as you kind of briefly touched on with Fremantle. Yeah. Yeah, when did you guys yourself start? So we started about seven years ago um, as an offshoot of a, a live music festival company. Um, and, you know, that's why it was called The Other Side. Uh, you know, it's like, it was like, you know, the other part of, of, of that kind of um, uh, the, the, the live music space, you know, you can put on gigs and all that kind of stuff. There's also the, the, the beers and all that kind of stuff. So I really want to get involved in, in that. Mm-hmm. And then about, you know, after about two years of, of doing the, the kind of um, gypsy thing. So I'd, I'd go to multiple different breweries and make beers for festivals and stuff. We started developing a, a pretty solid core range. Um, we put down roots in, in Myri, which is an industrial suburb about kind of, uh, Oh, 10 minutes, yeah, 10, 10 minutes away from Frio, um, just more inland. Um, and, yeah, we've been here for about five years now. Um, we've got a couple of live music venues in Fremantle. Um, one is Frio Social, which is a, a pretty pretty uh, large what, 900 capacity. Yeah, it's when it's packed. Yeah, yeah 900 capacity venue. Um, and uh, we've also um, we've got a pretty ownership of Mojo's, which is a um, uh, an institution in the, in the WA live music scene, which is in North Fremantle. Um, that's like where you know people like you know Tame Impala and John Butler and and uh, Pond, Pond yeah, um, uh, Crooked Colors. You know that's where all these all these folks had their kind of their first gig. Um, so it's it's really kind of um, really built into the kind of the 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 heart of the Frio kind of creative scene. Um, I love the fact that. Uh, you can tell that we're a whole bunch of Melburnians by the fact that a couple of the comments in the chat are like, oh, we thought other side was referring to the other side of Australia. <laughs> okay, okay. I got to say, that is the most Melbourne bullshit to think that you guys are <laughs> universe and we're all naming ourselves reference to you, but, you know, I live in Melbourne, I guess. <laughs> Fair, but that's genuinely what I thought. <laughs> yeah, it, is, it is like, I, I will say it's also like, and, and and this comes from our founders, you know, being lofty in their vision for the brand as well. So it's like the other side of running festivals, right? But it's also that like this kind of idea that you know what's what's on the other side of just drinking a beer. What, mm-hmm. What's where is the grass greener, right? And this, it was this idea of creating beers that you can then experience live music and arts and culture around, and they all mm-hmm. kind of play in together. So it was like, okay, well, what's craft beer and what's just normal craft beer, and then what do you how do you take that into a place where it's different and exciting and new? And that's kind of how we approach everything. It's like, all right, well, what's the crazy thing we can do with this? What's the really weird and wild and fun thing we can do with this? And that's, if, if we're not doing that, we're doing something. Mm. Yeah? yeah. And I, I mean, I, 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 for uh, the first couple of years, I thought it was just a red hot chili pepper song, but apparently it's like some <laughs> Salvador <laughs> reference that I'm not smart enough to understand, no. you know, <laughs> it should be, it should be a <laughs> I'm 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 going to ask you a quick question without notice. Yep. So, like, I'm always fascinated with people who are in industries that create stuff and people who create stuff in general. 
Western Australia is kind of known for for creating really individual, interesting music, art, literature, craft beer. Um, in, and for people who haven't looked on a map, there's just a shit ton of land between, like, with empty space. Yeah, so the Heinrich from Norway, one of our regular listeners, <laughs> he he definitely like to try to explain just how many Norways exist between the two bits of the country yeah, that we're in. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, there'd be like there'd be like a million Norways between one side of the country and the other <laughs> side of the country. It would be heaps. So how much does that isolation play into what you do? And this might be a question you guys can't answer, or you guys don't guys don't give a shit about, but. It, does that play like the fact that you guys have to look after your own little market and you're so far away from a large percentage of the Australian population? How does that play, or does that play on on how you go about things? I I think you're you're completely right. Um, I think um, it's kind of fifty uh, percent the the tyranny of distance. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with the with the you know with the music thing as an example. You know, you see a lot of Bands will renounce an Australian tour and they don't come to Perth. You know, that's, yeah. that's common. Um, and as a result, you know, like uh, the young kids, they have to, if they want to go see a band play, they've got to go see their mate, you know, down the road. And um, and that really just creates like a, there's like a scene, you know, and it's mm-hmm. really cool. the same thing happens with beer, you know, like since um, Swan closed down in the 90s, there wasn't a macro option in, in Western Australia. And then you consider that, in order to send a keg over, refrigerated or whatever, you're looking at upwards of 50 bucks a keg, which mm. means that it's more competitive for the small uh, small producers to really compete on on, a, on an even even keel, um, just because it's, it's closer and it's easy to get to. Um, yeah, I, I love the Australia 2 reference there with the keel, by the way. Noted. I also think another another one that is is. Um, maybe not as thought of or maybe not as discussed because it's a little bit political is um is there's no pokies here mm. you know like the pokies there's no pokies in pubs so if you if you want to bring people in you've got to offer something that's not just you know gambling um so as a result it, it means that there's live music there's you know more of that kind of uh taking a bit more risk with beers and food and stuff like that it's 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 definitely uh, a massive accidental win for, for Western Australia and, and Fremantle. You'll find one of the things that happened during the, the pandemic was the uh, industry support, depending mm. on whatever, you know, whatever scale was available for people, was, was, was used pretty frequently in supporting the continuation of a live music offering yeah. when venues can open up again. So they were saying, look, it's all fine and good for me to open the doors again, but the, the thing that I was doing to deliver experiences for people in my venue was to offer them. And, mm. and that about the WA creative scene mainly in music but like the the artists can play in the same pubs a lot and it's not just because they get a residency like they they get the chance to really find these homes and travel mm. all around WA so people become really familiar with these musicians mm. and they get a chance to hone their craft and 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 expand the experience with with um crowds you know and so then by the time they get to fly over to places like Melbourne or Sydney whatever they've had such a a wealth of experience playing in places that their craft is honed a lot more than you might be able to get in other places. Yeah. Which is why, you know, you get these really incredible artists that have just been like turning over great tracks, great music, great skill sets. And then they, and then they move on to WA and the rest, or sorry, the Eastern States, the rest of the world, you know, and they can be incredible, do amazing things. Mm. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
I want to ask, this is where we're going off script already. It never ends well when we do this this early. But I'd look. Yeah, 20, 271C, are we? Yeah. <laughs> right, we'll get to this in a bit. But Reese, as well, uh, are you, Reese, are you a WA guy by birth or what led you both to WA? You know, how has it uh, come to be here now? I was born on Cocos Island, um, but I grew up in WA. So Cocos Island's a little island um, between uh, Perth and Sri Lanka. And this is it, probably the most obscure bit of geography. We joke about how poor Heinrich <laughs> from Norway really struggles <laughs> to understand how Australia fits together. The idea yeah, that there's yeah. something that's halfway between Australia and Sri Lanka, and that's where you're from. Yeah. When you get to Perth. Explain, please. <laughs> well, Perth, Perth's pretty much the nearest city. <laughs> <laughs> well, aside from like Denpasar or something like that. But, um, uh, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, I was, I, was, <laughs> I was born over there. And then uh, and my family was from Perth and then we moved back to kind of the Frio area. And, uh, you know, I, um, I, I, I always kept gravitating. You know, I'm 36 now. I've done a number of years of travelling and all that kind of stuff and I always came back to Frio just because I love it. I'm glad we went off, off track because that was, that, that was really two fascinating answers. And I think... Yeah. <laughs> well, your brain, what's, what's, how, how did you sort of decide to end up in Frio? Yeah, well, I I was um, I was traveling in Europe and met my now partner um, in the middle of nowhere in Prague um, on a Prague is nowhere near Fremantle, just for Heinrich. Just I understand. It's pretty it's close. It's story. pretty close. <laughs> anyway, we we ended up back in Canada and then and then moving to um, Australia. She's she's Australian, and we you know did our stint in Sydney and then in Melbourne, and always knew that we might you know migrate to, to WA she's originally from WA but when we got back here it was just like this this like light switch flick and it was like why am I not here all the time especially in Fremantle it's just mm. this like connection to you know it, it's it's like big enough of a city that you can still explore all the great stuff that you would want out of a city but then it's right on the ocean incredible beaches a great river that runs through the entire thing that makes everything kind of accessible, mm. uh, a great creative scene, especially within the sort of Fremantle contingent. And, you know, to boot, I'm a big fan of beer. And it's, it's a <laughs> lively beer scene, you know? And so it was just like, what are we doing? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I, as long as you don't want a coffee after one o'clock in the afternoon. No, it's totally, good, but it's... You know? <laughs> I got kids. <laughs> That is a good call. So um, came, yeah, moved over and never left. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, great stories. I, I might take the lead on this bit because I know that Warren did reference the fact about half an hour ago that he'd already finished the first beer that we're supposed no, to No, no, you know, I was going to start <laughs> talking about the first beer. Like, we should actually talk about but, that. But we should do that, and we won't be far off moving on to the harvest for people who are playing at home. So, um, But we've got the cloud burst in front of us and ha- a hazy IPA. Can you tell us, first of all, what we should be experiencing in the glass for those of us that have been conscientious enough to leave some left in the glass? <laughs> and um, I guess, what? how do you find a way to put your own signature on a style that we see a lot of? Yeah. Um, so Cloudburst, we'd, we'd actually tried a lot of... Um, I was really nervous about making a core range hazy beer because um, hazy beers present a lot of challenges. You know, like getting getting something... Like all the all the brewing literature from up until kind of twenty years ago was all about hey, get haze out no matter what you want to do because it's not going to be stable. Um, it's going to look bad. It'll you know flocculate out and all that kind of stuff. And we've we've seen that with a lot of hazy beers in the market um, because it's like haze is is a, is a temporary thing. You know, like on a long enough timeline, nothing's going to be hazy. 
Um, uh, so we actually did maybe oh, 10 or 12 different hazy styles um, in experimental one-off beers before we are really comfortable launching a, a core range one. Um, this beer here is is something I'm 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 really happy with. It's, it's one of the ones I drink the most of. Uh, it's five point eight percent. It's a combination of Australian, New Zealand, Australian, New Zealand, Australian American hops. So this is mostly uh, Vic Secret and um, uh, Mosaic. So Mosaic is one of my favorite American hops. Vic Secret I think is a really underrated Australian hop. Um, you know, like most most famous of the Australian craft end hops is, is Galaxy. Um, which is a great hop as well, but I, I really, really have a lot of time for Big Secret. I think it throws a nice kind of pineapple character. Um, we're using a, uh, a hazy style yeast and uh, fermenting it really um, like aggressively and hot, and that throws a lot of uh, um, esters that really complement, I think, really complement the, the hop uh, profile. Um, it's double dry hop, so over over a couple of days, we'll, we'll give it two, two hopping, two doses of, of hops post-ferment. Um, we use a combination of um, rolled oats, rolled wheat, and rolled triticale, uh, which is um, definitely a, a less common but but somewhat common uh, ingredient. I don't uh, think it's that common. So genuinely, I don't think I've ever heard the word before in a hundred years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So triticale is, is um, it was developed in in Italy in the nineteen seventies. Um, it's a um, a hybrid of, of, of rye and wheat. Um, and then they, and so then the hybrid is, is like inert. It's unable to kind of, um, what's it called? It's like sterile. So you can't create more. So then they do some, they did some process to it. And then it was able to, to become its own thing. And so triticale can then create more triticale. Um, what's really cool about triticale is it's like got a lot of protein in it. So it's got like twice the amount of protein as, as oats do, but it's got a lot of lipids. So it creates that kind of really slick kind of texture to it. Um, it, it looks basically like oats, even though it's from rye and, and wheat. It kind of looks just like a like a rolled oat, um, but it's also really good for um, uh, like the soil and, and stuff like that. It can actually grow in in what's not really arable land for other grains. And you know, West Australia is it's a massive you know grain place. You know, like was <laughs> that as well. You know, like, but we 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 produce we produce a lot of barley um, and and wheat and a lot of that. You know, the best stuff gets molten, gets sent overseas. But you know, like it's 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 always you know worth considering. Maybe we're not going to have uh, soils adequate for for doing that forever. And so stuff like triticale is really interesting to me. Absolutely. I don't know whether I'm the only one who hasn't. I mean, people in the Zoom room can give me a big thumbs up if they've heard about it before. But it's... No, I've never. Yeah, that's fascinating. Oh, a scientist put their hand. Put their you should hear the amount <laughs> of times. Yeah, one of our, one of our geeks has heard about yeah. it. So uh, well, yeah, I actually, I actually stole the idea of using triticale from... Um, uh, what's the name? I'll come back to it. But there's another Frio boy that's now over in uh, in Victoria. So... Uh, an ex Frio brewer who's, who's moved over to your side of the world, and he was using it in um, uh, a couple of beers. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'll remember his name later. I've had a couple of beers. Right. Well, can I say this is tasting absolutely delicious? You mm. yeah, hinted there, not even hinted. You said explicitly that you sort of wondered whether making a hazy was the right thing to do or not. And I guess yeah. we discuss hazies, we discuss those long term beer trends here on the podcast a fair bit. 
was it market demand that made you think, yeah, we've got to do it? Or is it a style that you've, you enjoy drinking? And so you thought, you know, there's a right, we should get involved in it for that reason. Um, a bit of both. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely where the market is, was heading when we, when we launched it. I mean, it still is. It, it quickly became our biggest seller. Um, it is, it is a beer that it is a, a style that I like to drink. Um, also, I think there's, you know, it's that kind of that roulette when you when you go down to a bottle shop, uh, you're not really sure whether, if it's been looked after or whatever. And, and sometimes a hazy is kind of the first to suffer from that. Um, so for me personally, it's really nice to be able to have one that I know has been kept cold the whole time because it's you know just down the road or just you know 50 meters away. Um, and so for me, as a selfish person, you know, it's nice to be able to have a, a fresh hazy always available. Um, but yeah, it was definitely definitely. Um, the market was definitely asking for it. And also it's a really interesting technical challenge because as I said before, you know, like getting a, a stable haze uh, and, and keeping all that really lovely kind of beautiful, fresh hop character, vibrant, um, you know, between everything smells great out of the bright, you know, and, and getting it, getting it. So it also tastes great, you know, six months down the track when someone's drinking it, that's, that's a really great technical challenge. And, um, and yeah, definitely, definitely, Learned a lot by making this beer and developing it, and it's definitely helped us learn a lot of things about all the other beers. I get my sorry. What I'm going to cut across you there. The last sort of little bit for me on this one is: Have you seen a difference in the time that you've been making it on how the market's perceived it? Because I sort of sense that I'm not doing a full Travis Bristow. The hazy train is over. But we certainly seem to find ourselves talking about that next generation of West Coast IPAs a lot more now. Have you already perceived that little bit of a change or am I just making stuff up here in Kensington on a Melbourne evening? Um, I think uh, there's definitely a bit of like a kind of like a reactionary tilt against hazy beers um, because they're so ubiquitous. I think that's, that's, pretty, um, that's pretty common with any kind of uh, really dominant trend. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of people because you know I've been in the industry for for 17 years now, and there's a lot of people that are really um, uh, you get you get to a point eventually where you're sick of the new trend, you know, like and and so like people are really reverting back to um, you know West Coast IPA or uh, traditional pilsner or that kind of thing. Say, traditional yeah, is like definitely, yeah, definitely. But but I think um, but I think. You know, I remember in, you know, 2005 when you'd have to, uh, you'd give someone a, a West Coast IPA and they're like, ah, it tastes like flowers, you know. It's like uh, everyone's got their kind of reactionary kind of um, thing where, where you hate on the new thing because it's different. And I think what's great about Hazy Beers is actually bringing in a lot of people into craft beer and growing the, 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 the number of craft beer drinkers in a way that, that nothing else really has in my entire kind of um, career. Yeah, but think about the, the, the repertoire of like entry craft drinkers now. Like yeah. When you used to come in, you'd be like an IPA was maybe more often, right? Maybe it was yep. like a, maybe it was like a, you know, pretty hoppy pale ale was maybe the entry. You call it XBA now, but at the time that didn't kind of exist. Mm-hmm. And now if somebody that comes in and says, hey, maybe I'm entertaining you know, different beers, more interesting beers now. Yeah. This entire gamut's available to you. 100%. And so people are trying all these different beers and it's not just like, oh, I, you know, the hazy is the only route. Mm. They can go in a million different directions. So there's like, there's this proliferation of, of 
you know, exploratory activity and new beer drinking. So it's, you know, the fads are great, but like the fads were the easiest thing to approach. And now that's kind of opening up and people are like, man, I can, I can drink a million things and I'll find out what I really like. I think that's 100% true. Like I, I had friends that would never drink a pale ale that like their, you know, generic uh, mainstream uh, lager. Um, and, you know, through kind of hazy because, you know, the, the whatever, you know, Nipah or whatever you want to call it, um, through that style, they've kind of become uh, aware that they can actually have a really positive experience by trying something new. And um, and now they're drinking like Dreyfontaine and mixed fermentation stuff. And, totally. you know, they've they, they really... Um, expanded their their uh, their kind of um, their their mindset about beer simply because they had a few a few things that they tried and they were rewarded for you know um that's a really interesting segue to then move on to our next beer which is the harvest red yeah. um and I think it's fascinating because it's not often. Red Ale isn't one of the things you see on high rotation in a lot of the fridges in craft beer beer stores. Um, what's the inspiration behind going with a Red Ale, and what, like how how does it do? What's what's the what's yeah as a as a product? Like, you know, I suppose it, it's probably fun to brew, but as a product to sell, what's it like putting out there in the market? Um, all right, so. Red ale is oh cheers. So red ale is um, um a really um near and dear style to my heart, the American style red ale. Um I think it was actually our first major success. So this was our first experimental that we launched, was the Harvest Red Ale. And we brewed it once and it sold out straight away. So we brewed it again and it kept selling out. And it's actually just never left. And um, before Cloudburst, it was it was pretty much one of our biggest, it was our biggest seller. Um, for me, I think, like, I love cooking. I love eating and I love, you know, like sharing food with friends and beers and all that kind of stuff. And for me, uh, an American style red ale is just a really fantastically balanced beer. You know, it's got, it's got, mm malt and you can kind of do some stuff with that and kind of go you know stewed fruit and and, and dates and that kind of thing um i think it's got a really nice hop character to it um it's just a perfect uh like meat beer you know it's like american barbecue or whatever like anything kind of like big and 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 hearty uh goes great with an american style red ale um this this beer itself is actually based off of uh, a homebrew recipe that i used to do a lot before I knew anything about beer. So talking like, you know, 15 years ago, homebrewing in a little um, apartment in the middle of Fremantle. Now, Fremantle has terrible water, really salty. Uh, it's really alkaline. Um, and I didn't know any of this stuff about brewing chemistry or anything like that. But what I did notice is when I made a red ale, it would actually turn out all right. Everything else is terrible. But uh, the red ale was all right. And what I realized later is that I wasn't doing any water chemistry or anything like that. I um I basically just fluked into it because the more the, the more darker malt you have, the more acidity it contributes. Um, if the water is quite alkaline, that'll balance out, and so you get the right mash pH, you get you know uh, healthy yeast, all that kind of stuff. Um, and and so I just started making one the one beer that I could get right, and then uh, I just made that a lot, and uh, that was like um you know. Six and a half, six point eight percent red IPA type thing. Um, so I had to, I had to kind of simplify it and make it a bit more mass appeal because red ales weren't hugely popular when we first started with them. 
Um, but yeah, man, um, I'm stoked that everyone loves it as much as I do. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for the, the red liner to come out. You know what's funny is that like when, when you see, so it's like we, we, we have our membership base or all of our advocates, right? Called the other side tycoons. So we have like 1300 of them now, right? Yeah. And you can see this general trend where like people come on as tycoons and they're like, oh, these are all my favorite beers. And slowly they like go down this funnel and end up where Harvest is their favorite beer. Mm. You know, you have more tycoons that love Harvest than like any of our other beers. Yeah. It's just kind of like you spend enough time around our beers and you you sort of like tend to gravitate towards this one in, in its like perfect balance, you know, really punchy, hot yeah. character and bitterness and stuff to it. So it's it's funny. And then like you say, it's like, and it's a really cool thing about others, other what you do with your beers, but like you you have this this base of a great beer and then you build off it. So you have harvest and you go red liner, yeah. you know, or you do like little red and yeah. all these variations of really good I just beers. love red beets. You're amongst friends, can I tell you? You are very <laughs> much amongst friends on that front. Yeah. So this beer, um, uh, when I did have, when I was buying a lot of um, uh, imported uh, beers, maybe like 2012, 2010 to 2012, uh, all the American red owls that I had, I found they were, most, mostly kind of um a bit kind of sickly sweet and a lot of that was oxidation and stuff like that but i found them like quite a bit like caramel heavy that i didn't like so so when i was making this beer i actually based the the malt bill off more of like a belgian style um beer so almost there's almost no caramel and it's more about the kind of the the, the dried fruit kind of um characteristics so something more like um uh like a trappist style malt bill but then with a clean American yeast and 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 lots of hops, you know. That's, you reckon that's a, a key part of the, how the popularity of of your red owl? Like, is is that like the idea has moved away a little bit from the from the American style with the caramel? Is do do you attribute like its popularity as that part? Or how much does that play in into the popularity of the red owl? Well, I mean, I think I think. We just got lucky with this beer and that it's just um uh with all with all our beers we're trying to achieve balance, you know, like we want people to be out drinking six months of them, whatever, and uh uh responsibly catch an Uber home. Um I I I think you know with this one we just like this was our first kind of lesson in trying to, you know, if you're if you're a little bit here, you want to pull it down that way. If you're a little bit there, you want to pull it over this way, kind of thing, and just get something that is is the kind of beer that you can think about and you can savor and all that kind of stuff, or you can just drink it and not worry about it and focus on your you know, barbecue brisket. Yeah. Drink it and you know, whatever. Um, so I think, I think a lot of people responded to it. Like it's definitely for people that aren't, you know, your traditional beer drinker when we first came out with it um, or your traditional lager drinker really gravitated towards it. Um, a lot of uh, women I've, I've, you know, I've, I've come across over the years to be like, oh, I don't like beer because they're, you know, beer has all had traditionally all these messages that were like, oh, this isn't for you. But then they have something like this and they're like, oh, actually, this is something I can actually, you know, um, enjoy. I mean, I think that that is more of my kind of history in the industry. I think that's definitely not the case anymore, which is, which is you know, beer is a lot more welcoming than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a problem 10, 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, I think now would be a nice time to go back and, and visit both your journeys uh, into craft beer. Um, we might start with Braden because I think it'll be interesting uh, since you came from from overseas. What was your first 
craft beer. Can you tell us about your first craft beer experience? Yeah. So, I mean, the real backstory there is I grew up in, in the very center of Canada where it's like the wheat belt, right? And that would suggest that there'd be some really cool beers. There wasn't, you know, so <laughs> with like the Coors Lights of the world, the Molson Canadians are like really ordinary beers, you know, like to me, like a, a Corona was like an aspirational beer. Where I grew up, you know? And I spent a lot of time with that. And I just never considered it to be something that I was interested in at all. It was just a thing, you know, just another thing like you just yeah. ate or drank like anything else. Yeah. A commodity. Yeah. 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 Just this, some, some, you know, normal part of your life because it wasn't to be considered anything interesting. And then um, I moved to Vancouver um, uh, for school and I just got there and there's just this expanding scene. The scene that was blowing up with the West Coast IPAs. It was sort of like leeching in from the US, from the Northwest US. And there was some- I just ask, when you say school, like, you know, for most of us, that means sort of 16 University, or University. under or something. Yeah, uni, yeah. Yeah, cool. Just making, I mean, feel no, free to reveal that you were drinking at 10. Um, <laughs> but- <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, he, he didn't grow up in free. Um, but no, yeah. So, I, I mean, there was this, this exploding scene of, and everything was West Coast IPAs, everything. So there was, there was no other side. You couldn't find a, a red ale. You couldn't find anything. There was just West Coast IPAs. But that, that whole notion of like a beer that kind of like punched you with flavor and bitterness and texture and all that kind of stuff is just like this is a this is a thing like this is available and then it just it just went from there and i was just i was obsessed with finding these great beers and you know spending a lot of time in the mountains and stuff so you'd have these like great you know great experiences where you'd have beers with you and then have these backcountry you know um top of a mountain yeah. open seascape and sky experiences so you, you like you kind of associate really great beers with really incredible mm. views and experiences and and like mindsets right so like that probably just did something for me where i was in like beer is the most amazing thing in the whole world and i love all this and so then it just it, it like took off so i was you know it was just like any beer i can get my hands on i was kind of like part of that whole expanding scene of like rogue and Vancouver Island breweries that were really starting to. What about what about Unibrew, the Quebecois brewery? Yeah, I think it's great. I think I think Man, it's, Le Fin du Monde was one of my uh, one of my one of my beers that set me on my journey. They were dusty beers yes. in every bottle yeah, shop. And nobody turns. nobody yep. bought them exactly yeah. right. And then and I went back home to visit people and I was like, wait a second, what is hey, this? Hey, Unibrew, <laughs> Unibrew, and like like you know like Fang ABI all you want, but yeah. like. They kind of knew it early, and it's interesting that they'd be like, "Oh, let's take a punt on this kind of thing," but still good. It's mm. good back then, still good now. No, that was that was a yeah. Uh, Le de Bond in particular was was definitely a, a threshold beer for me. Is there one particular example? Is there one particular example of a time and a place where you were somewhere special and you opened a beer and went? This is this is good living. This is great. Like, is there was there a particular mountain and a particular beer that you sort of look back on and go? Yes, yeah. It was called. It was it was by a company called Lighthouse, and it was a beer called Crankworks. And it was an IPA, and they were all about mountain biking, which every beer brand is about mountain biking in that space in that time. <laughs> um, and at that time, it was all glass bottles still. Like nobody was on the can yeah. kind of trend, so it was like these short, stubby, sort yep. of flat bottles, not like a big thing, but like little bottles. 
And so you hiked into these like mountain spots with a whole heap of bottles in your back pocket, like Not like right. absolutely terrible, <laughs> snatching everything. And I just remember you would like you would drink these beers and then you'd fill up in the in the creek in the clear creeks with water to drink, and that would be kind of your water bottle. Awesome. Yeah. And that was just like this this perfect epiphany for me of like how beer could be part of this you know, incredible life experience and, and the perfect delivery of a great experience. I, this sounds to me like we should be getting a sponsorship, not only from the WA <laughs> Tourist Board for the how much recognition <laughs> Fremantle is a great venue, but Canada can also pay for Warren and I to come over and spend a month or so <laughs> you know, coming and experiencing the mountain. You won't be disappointed for that uh, Reese, how about yourself? Was there a particular sort of, you know, defining early craft beer experience for you? Uh, yeah, um, I, um, I like many people, came up through Little Creatures. So I, um, I was studying uni, um, as, as Brendan alluded to earlier, I was studying journalism with the idea of being a war correspondent. Um, and I was talking with someone, at, uh, a friend of mine at uni, and he, I said, look, I'm going for this nightfall job tonight. You know, i got to uh, go do this thing. It's like, that's too boring. Like, you're too interesting for that. Come work at this restaurant I work at. I'm like, Okay. And it was war correspondent is nowhere near interesting enough for you. No, no, no. The night field job is like, that's too boring. Come, come work with me. And, um, and so, checking. and so he ended up getting me, um, uh, getting me a gig at Little Creatures, which I'd never even heard of. I think I might have heard of it in passing. I didn't know what it was. Didn't really understand craft beer. I was 18 years old. And, uh, and yeah, I just absolutely fell in love with the Little Creatures Pale Ale. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. These days they still do it, but they'd, they'd use the the hop back or the hop nick, and um and that was that was years before Hop Hog had the first kind of mass produced beer with uh, a dry hop in, you know. So like at the time, a, a hop hop back was like the most fresh expression of hops. And they were still getting in. I think they probably still do the whole hop cones from the United States and and then disposing them in quarantine bins and stuff like that. It was it had this whole romantic ideal. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, I worked, you know, I started as a glassy and, and, uh, and then worked there for a few years, went traveling, came back, did a few things. Um, you know, I went and lived in, in Adelaide and, and Melbourne and stuff like that. And, and every single time I, uh, back in those days, you know, like 2007, 2009, there was not really much in the way of craft beer that was easily accessible to someone, you know, like, um, uh, someone like me anyway. So, uh, I kind of learned how to brew beer because I'd read about all these beers that I couldn't get access to. And I just want to see what, I want to see what a quad Belgian quad tasted like. And I wanted to see what, you know, like, uh, you know, what happens if I dry hop with uh, a, an English, um, you know, hop or some of that it doesn't work. It's terrible, but I had to learn that myself, you know, like, um, you know, so I, I kind of, I kind of just, you know, I was just had this curiosity and I didn't have any money so I, I couldn't afford to, to import all these fancy beers. So I just had to make them myself. And then, um, and then, yeah, I just, I realized I was, I was uh, in love with the kind of the production aspect to it and being able to create and tweak. And um, yeah, I, I was, I've always had that kind of thing where I've wanted to be creative, but I was always a little bit of a perfectionist. Um, but once you start the beer, it's not stopping, you know? So that perfectionism goes out the window. You're like, oh, I got to get it done. You know, I got to finish it. Um, and so it really cured that for me, you know, and, um, and yeah, I found somewhere I get to be creative and I get to, you know, get dirty and, and, uh, get tired and get smelly and it's, you know, it's good fun. You saved my life t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, I feel like you, you, you almost, you've done the perfect segue into our next question, which is so many of our listeners would love the kind of jobs that you guys have. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who's, you know, 20 or you know, 19, 20 and wanting these kinds of jobs, both having done what you've done and done it your way? Yeah. Uh, well, well, I mean, uh, if you're 19 and 20, I'd say go for it. Um, if you're 30, I'd say don't bother, mate. Like, <laughs> like if you're uh, 48, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a shit job. Like, it's like, I mean, there's a lot of great parts to it, but the pay is bad. It's hard work. Um, it's pretty antisocial hours sometimes. Uh, it's a lot of stress, you know, like, I could, I, I live in West Australia. I could go do FIFO and make three times as much money, but you know, like I love it. Um, I think you gotta, you gotta really consider whether it's, it's something you want to dedicate your whole life to because it will just absorb you, you know, it will take everything uh, about your life. And, um, and if you're still into that idea, absolutely go for it. Um, I would suggest these days, I'd suggest, uh, getting some kind of science degree or something like that, or engineering helps. Uh, being a sparky is a really good asset. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know all those kinds of trades, um, and then just find a brewery that you want to work at and don't be annoying and uh, keep hanging around until they want to give you a job. The the awful thing about the 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 um expertise and the education that you've just discussed is they also work extremely well on FIFO jobs like 100%, 100%. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I mean like like you know 15 years ago you could just read forums on the internet and and learn enough um yep. the the industry is so much more professionalized and sophisticated now um I wouldn't hire someone with my resume you know <laughs> There's, there's another T-shirt in that sort of praise. <laughs> um, I think, how about you? Was you know, I mean, cool. you know, what's you know, what would you be saying to people? You know, again, you've got this cool job. You know, what, yeah, I think, I think, honestly, you fake it till you make it. I think, <laughs> I think, I think, I think people, I think people are too worried about having all the experience before stepping into a job. Yeah, and it's the biggest thing that I've learned along the way is just back yourself and. You can be honest. Like you can walk into a place and say, "Hey, look, I've never done this. Can I do it? Yeah. Will I be good at it? Yeah." And that's it. I mean, it's not. It's not. If you if you take the time to do your research beforehand to learn what you think you're going to be doing, what you think you you can do with with the role and with mm. the the opportunity in front of you, um, I think that shows more than than having a, you know an amassed experience of of. Um, you know, uh, other roles or education or whatever. Not to say I didn't, but I just mean I've kind of I've jumped between you know some cool jobs and stuff already, mm. and, and they were exactly what I wanted to do because I was like, well, that's what I want to do. If I don't have the experience yet, why don't I just go get it in that job instead of having to kind of prove myself at it? Yeah. So the advice is be insanely personable, like Braden. <laughs> That's not that's not, a, that's not a thing that people can do. <laughs> I think it's a it's a it's a great bit of advice. The older no, I get, you know, what, you know, well, you no, know not be I'm like Braden. Just be clear, not be like Braden. But that bit of advice well, of yeah, if you want a job, Canadian, super nice. <laughs> one of the best things I've ever done, I'll say this, is go to a public speaking course, a course, a public speaking course, and they sit you up in front of everybody else there. So you're talking like 20, 30 people. 
and they make you you make you make you write something down and then speak to the whole crowd about it and they film you and then they watch it with you in front of that same crowd and it's terrifying it's but what you learn is all the crazy shit that you're doing that that alarms people like i used to put my arms up in the air when i was talking i'm doing that right now (laughs) can i tell you genuinely what what i do because i've I've been through media training now and i still do it and probably i just nod a lot yeah you're exactly right david because you leave knowing the stuff that are your like ticks your shows and then you learn how to adjust to them and you don't become perfect but you you learn what you look like and you can adjust to it and then you just naturally become i i guess able to walk in a room and say what you want to say and be how you want to be and i'm you know you're always thinking about it not in a like a self-involved kind of way you're just constantly aware of what's going on i guess mm. I yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um what doesn't make a lot of sense is my segue now um, I was going to ask the traditional cooler question. Since Braden, you were you were talking, maybe you could kick us off. So the question, well, the question is, what is the what? Oh, actually, <laughs> what is the craziest, weirdest, funkiest, smelliest thing you've seen in a cool room? And we're quite open with the definition of cool room, so that's any hospitality or brewing environment. Feel free to use aliases. Feel free to use, um, you know, make-up names of venues, which aren't other side. <laughs> yeah. This is on you, mate. You, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think uh, Brayden's had as much cool room time as I have. But, um, uh, I mean, I, uh, for a, uh, for an extended period of time, was doing a lot of dry aging in our cool room. Um so I'd like it like a side of meat and just like hanging up and go like a moth. Oh, I, I think a lot of people wouldn't have liked that very much. Um, I've done that in a while. I should do that again, actually. Um, but yeah, you know, like a bit of bit of meat fungus is 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 normal. Oh right? yeah, that that that's totally <laughs> brewing environment. <laughs> uh, you know, as long as, long as all the vessels are sealed, it's safe. It's not worry about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> But this leads us into another little cool room question, which we we often uh, we often ask: What's your favorite bit of kit? What's your favorite piece of equipment at the moment that you're that you've got? And the other one is: What do you want? Like, what's the what's what's a piece of equipment that you really are dying to get your hands on? Uh, so both of those two questions. So, what's your yeah, favorite yeah. equipment? What's the well, it's kind of both the same answer. So um, I, I've got this, this side project that I'm doing uh, where I bought a, a rotary evaporator, um, but I haven't put it together yet and haven't used it yet. So, like, um, I really think that's going to be a really interesting thing. So, like, a rotary evaporator is basically like a piece of lab equipment with, a, um, you know, a spherical uh, flask sitting in, a, in a, a bowl of, like, oil or water or whatever that you can, you can heat, and it rotates around. You pull a vacuum on it, and it can... Um, Distill at really uh, low temperatures. Mm. It's basically, like water boils at like 100 degrees. Um, ethanol, alcohol boils are like 78 or whatever. Um, but that's at um, at uh, sea level. So as you go up the mountain, mm. you the, the boiling temperature drops because there's less atmospheric pressure holding the the um, the gas inside the liquid. Right. So you can use that principle and pull a vacuum on something. And uh, you can get that that uh, distillation happening like 30 degrees or whatever. 
Huh? Oh. Um, which is absolute black magic. <laughs> it's actually like it's actually a thing. So like I think I think Colonial Brewing just uh, in, installed a, um, a, a vacuum distillation unit, which is the same principle, but it's not it's not the same piece of equipment. Um, but it's really cool because like a lot of really volatile, um, beautiful, delicate smelling things mm-hmm. down when they get heated, you know, they they become something else and then they get ruined. It's like it's like the smell of um, you know like a, a freshly cut open piece of apple versus stewed apples you know like they, they become a different thing with heat um so i've got this rotovap and i've had it for a little while and i haven't used it yet but i reckon that is going to have some really interesting implications with some um some beers have you got an idea of what you want to mm, a lot of ideas well, yeah. yeah and can you would you are you happy enough to share it with us yeah well i mean i got listeners I've got to learn how to do it. So I was actually down at um, the Dam, which is this uh, this venue down in in Denmark, which is in Western Australia, not not the country. Um, Poor Heinrich from Norway. That's, <laughs> that will be a really the final blow. <laughs> so um, so yeah, d- down in Denmark, there's this place called the Dam, and I met I met the owner uh, about a year ago now, and he had a rotovap, and I was like, ah, oh, I just bought one of those. So that's taking me to set this thing up, but um. Uh, but he actually used to be a, a, a perfumer. So he, um, so they've got this uh, distillery that they use um, non-psychoactive cannabis to make all their uh, vodka and gin out of. And it's really cool. Wow. Strongly recommend the dam. Like they do some really, really cool stuff. Um, but he had this rotovap and I was like, is that a rotovap? He was like, yeah. And I was like, I should come down and learn how you use it. Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, yeah, I'm going to get it fired up and, and maybe see if I can hit him up and, and do some stuff. But, um, but yeah, like I love the idea of like, you know, uh, wildflower season, you know, going to someone's farm and picking a bunch of wildflowers and instantly chucking them in some ethanol and then, and then uh, vapping them that day. Um, I love the idea of like getting hops, you know, from a tank. So I've dry hops, you know, done the first dry hop, pull that out vap that shit straight away, pour it back in the top and just like, you know, doing, doing some really cool stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of really interesting flavors that you, you can, you can get from stuff, but they're like, they use like alcohol as the carrier. So unless your beer is, you know, 60%, you're not mm-hmm. getting out of it as you possibly could. Um, just opens up a whole new world for, for doing stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. That's really, yeah. It might not work. I don't know. I just think it's going to work. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great answer. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's incredible. And here we are. We're back with episode 170. Uh, more than yeah. ever, we're not going to talk about what we spoke about in the break because, oh, there were so many schisms emerging. But more importantly, there's something super exciting in our glasses Hopefully you've ordered the tasting pack either from the Cool Room Shopify site or that you've got onto other side directly and found the delicious uh, headliner double IPA. Guys, what should we be tasting in our glass? And let's go from there. Um, so this year's version, so we do this every year. It's our kind of um, summer seasonal. It is a... Uh, this one is more of a traditional style um, West Coast IPA, um, double West Coast IPA. Um, the hops in this are Strata Mosaic and Citra from memory. Um, 
It is, uh, you know, 100% uh, our, our base malt, Western Australian, um, you know, uh, Western Australian barley uh, malted down the road in, in Walshpool. Um, it's, you know, a little, bit of, a little bit of sugar as well, which I think is really important for a, a, a West Coast double because you want to drop that body a little bit. So having a little bit of dextrose in there that's 100% fermentable just lets you get that ABV without having too much cloying kind of malt character. Really lets the hops shine through. Um, excuse me. Um, I, I love this. I love making this beer every year. Um, it's always a little bit different. Last year, no, two years ago, we were really playing that kind of West Coast juicy space. So we were trying to do something that was like a hybrid between West Coast and um, and, uh, and, a, and a hazy style, um, only because it was prior to the West Coast kind of resurgence. And so, like, uh, we found that when we do, like, a you know, a experimental double West Coast, whatever, didn't sell as quickly as something was hazy. So we tried to kind of meet in the middle because, you know, we like West Coast IPAs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, this time, uh, the last two years, we've kind of gone back to much more of a, a kind of classic uh, West Coast. Um, I love this this beer it's one of my favorites and uh for the first time this year uh we've done a variant called nz liner which is the same base beer with uh, kiwi hops and uh i think it'll be the third or fourth year running um in a couple of weeks we're going to be bring the red liner which is obviously like the harvest kind of malt bill style but done with this beer and that is 100 my favorite other side beer every year I'm, I'm really excited for it um, uh, he won. He won us a, a, a trophy at the uh, Perth Royal Beer Awards last yeah. year, um, which helped us get champion uh, medium brewery. And uh, yeah, man, I um, I I just really like hops, and this is this is uh, it's great to be able to have a, a hoppy seven and a half eight percent beer, you know, six months of the year. What's the difference that someone would be expecting to to taste and and see with? with this compared to your regular IPA? Like what it's obviously a bigger, bigger kind of broodier example. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other things which which people should be should be observing? Yeah. So well, um, are the police raiding your house? So I wasn't sure what that sounds <laughs> like in the background there. No, that was that's a that's a overreactive child. I'm gonna mute myself for the next couple of minutes. We might just clap so you can cut. Um, so this beer is, um, uh, this one, so this, this beer changes every year. The, the Anthem is, is a core range beer. And so it's relatively unchanged. Um, the Anthem is made, uh, strangely, it's actually made with a hazy yeast. So, uh, a biotransformative yeast that kind of pulls some, uh, stuff from the hops and turns it into other things. Um, it's, the Anthem also has a little bit of, uh, wheat in it. Um, it's a combination of Australian and, uh, American hops. Um, but yeah, the headliner is more of a classic traditional West Coast uh American style idea. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, they there's similarities. Like um I there's kind of a signature water profile that I shoot for for all of our all of our beers, um, in terms of just mouthfeel. So I like um to be kind of doing what's what's kind of not the uh, conventional wisdom and, and go quite chloride heavy because I think it really accentuates the kind of uh, juicier side to the hops. Um, so there is a kind of a through line there with the water. Very, uh, you know, same base malt, similar malt profile, um, but it's, it's, it's a different yeast strain to the, to the uh, anthem. So it's, it's not really like a big brother of it. Like it's a, 
it's its own kind of beer that kind of stands alone, I think. It's a really good and interesting answer because I think there's hmm. always, and we do get some breweries where there is like, you know, the original beer, then little brother, big brother, great drunken uncle at the Christmas party kind of version. Hmm. Well, um, I mean, this is a great example of that because we've got a, we've got a, you know, we've got a red one, we've got a New Zealand one, you know, like we, we have very, this beer, um, but it's not really related to, to uh, Anthem. Just to nerd out a little bit, um, oh, here we go. Yeah, we, we love nerding it. Uh, when you talk about your water, what specifically, you talk about mouthfeel, but what specifically about the mouthfeel are you looking for when you're changing up the water chemistry? And can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, is it specifically yeah. for you or is it something that we could all observe? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so water chemistry is actually really crucial to uh, the history of beer. So how, how beer styles kind of got developed. Um, uh, you know, pale ales kind of originated uh, from Burton-upon-Trent in the UK and that water was really quite sulfury, right? It had really high uh, calcium sulfate um, uh, in the water and that created what's called the Burton Snatch. So it was like this kind of a little whiff of sulfur because it was almost like kind of too much, but that really exacerbated the bitter characteristics of the hops. So that's where kind of pale ale developed, you know, like um, in terms of... Um, Pilsen in the Czech Republic, where, where you know, uh, or Czechia, whatever they're calling it now. Mm-hmm. Um, Pilsner, uh, the, 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 the Pilsner uh, developed because they had really, really soft water, had really low mineral content. And, and that's really what you're looking for when you're making a lager. So, you know, Tasmania's historic, you know, great lagers. Melbourne, great lagers, both really soft water profile. These days you can kind of manipulate that. You get a reverse osmosis filter, you strip out everything you get from the municipal water supply, and then you rebuild it back. You make it sound so simple. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is. Like, once you've got the infrastructure there, it's actually pretty simple, you know? Like, um, so, like, uh, stout, you know, stouts and porters really originated from from two places, which was London and, and Dublin, both which had really, really hard water. So, like, like the real carbonate-heavy water. And as I was saying with the, with the example with the, um, uh, the red ale previously, having that carbonate really raises the pH having the acidic malt really balances that out and you get like a good like product, you know? Um, so yeah, like uh, water chemistry is incredibly important for giving like a sense of place historically. And so when we, we moved in, um, you know, we're in where we are, we have multiple different kind of municipal water sources that change over the course of the year. So it was crucial for us in order to maintain consistency to get a reverse osmosis filter and, and rebuild the water from scratch. On every year, um, so I'm so, going to nerd. I'm going to nerd out even more. Sorry, interrupt. Yeah. Because I love town planning discussions and infrastructure discussions. How is it that you have different water sources at different times of the year? Like, profoundly yeah. that you have to deal with it. And, well, it's, uh, it's and, not, and it's, the best bit is that someone else in the Zoom room is pointing at themselves vigorously. <laughs> I'm going to ignore them completely because I'm interested in your answer, not custards. Uh, well, basically, like um, I've I've brewed a few places around the area that have um, not had uh, uh, particularly sophisticated water treatment, and you make one beer that doesn't sell very often. So, like maybe every three months, you do exactly the same, exactly the same uh, malt profile, exactly the same uh, treatment with the salts and all that kind of stuff, and your pHs will be completely different. And then, and that'll kind of balance out over the course of a brew. Maybe you'll add a little bit more of this or that. 
but then you know you use the same batch of hops and they'll express differently because of uh, the, the 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 basics of the of the water itself. Um, and that's something like when you when you're trying to create a consistent product, that's really an unknown that you really want to just squash out. You, know? you really want to create a um, uh, you want to get one more um, question out of it. You know, there's a lot of things that happen when you're running a brewery, a lot of things that will come up, and the more you can kind of nail down and, and make not a problem, the better. Well, and, and so, the, I mean, the water is coming from, like... Is it like diesel plants? Right? Diesel plants. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like natural rainwater. Rain yeah. Catch, right? So they all filter in the same place and depends on the mix of them. And, yeah, and, and, and that'll change. And, like, so, so like, um, last drop um, out in uh, Bedforddale, um, which is the outer suburbs, the eastern suburbs of, uh, of Perth and the kind of the, the Darling Ranges. Um, Jan out there is a, a dude that, uh, you know, learned to brew behind the Iron Curtain, came here and started making kind of like traditional European-style lagers. He makes some of the best lagers in Australia, 100%. Fantastic. But he has this impeccable soft water, you know, so he can do that. Um, but then when he does more hoppy styles, there's like something lacking there and he's very traditional. So he doesn't like to, you know, add salts to it and stuff like that. And over the years, I've definitely, he's a good friend of mine. Over the years, I've definitely been pressuring him to kind of uh, do a bit more kind of uh, nerdy water chemistry, but he's very traditional. So, yeah. <laughs> it's good to know that my basic understanding of the different water sources uh, fits well. Have you ever experienced explosions in the cool room? Or in the cool in the room? No. In the brewery, no, I've, I've definitely, I've definitely seen a uh, a rookie brewer not properly degas a tank before pulling off the racking port, and that was an explosion of sorts. There was a lot of hops. Um, yeah. Took a few weeks to find all the spots where it had splattered around. Um, I took a good photo of him. It was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, we luckily we haven't had anything dangerous so far. Any um, implosions? No, I've witnessed a couple of implosions at a brewery I won't name, but uh, it's it's definitely possible to to suck in a tank, and I never want to do that. Yeah, and, and Braden, yourself, obviously, you yourself have never had an uh, an unpleasant experience out on the road, but just can you explain maybe some of the pitfalls for being out doing live tastings and talking to to venues about beers you're trying to rep. What mistakes have you seen other people make that, along the way? Yeah, well, it's been a while since I've been like on the road doing sales stuff. I mean, now kind You're of fancy man. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I'm just like I'm, I'm kind of like managing, you know, brand initiatives and activations and stuff, right? So like, and everything happens by drone now. I know. Are you mm. kind of like that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, you you just you 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 plan something and you hope it works out like like you want it to, and you control the variables you can, and don't worry about things you you can't. I mean, we work with a lot of live. Um, live, live music acts with a lot of artists and stuff and inherently and there's risk and crazy stuff that happens and people that don't show up. And- no, no, no. The answer, the answer that you should give is the explosion has been the incredibly popular draft lager that we did not expect anyone to like <laughs> and now I can't yeah. keep up with it. Yeah, no, cool. Be an explosion on the scene in two weeks' time. <laughs> we'll just say something like that. Can't tell you anymore. <laughs> but keep your eyes peeled and your mouths open. That's oh, the, I was going that. I know that's what I'm saying. That's the scoop. I love it. Open. It is, yeah. Love it. Um, it's fascinating. Again, referencing the fact that we're not going to uh, to have the Moon Dog podcast come out 
the role now of, you know, a, a, a good quality draft beer that can be served, particularly in live, live music venues, particularly at a reasonable price, particularly at this point in 2023 when the economics of everything are changing around. It's really interesting that you're aiming towards that bit of the market without giving tastes away and whatever else. Why that? Why is that the sort of thing that you expect to explode in? Well, yeah. So this, I mean, like classic as a logger was was funny, right? Because it was this, it was this, this you know venture that you did to mm. you know, foray into core loggers into like you know base beer territory, and it was actually first seated at Mojo's, mm. so a North Fremantle live music venue that's is part of our group, and so. It was seated in Mojo's as Mojo's Lager. It was first created as Mojo's Lager, and it went went nuts, like yeah. gangbusters, right? Mm. And so we looked at that where people were like going to gigs, just like cracking one can open, using the last. And it was, you know, it just became part of this whole experience. We just thought it's exactly, exactly what we're after. It's exactly yeah. what other side does and what we want to do. And so then it became this, okay, well, how can we transform that into a core range product that's available for everybody else? And thus was... You know, the, the birth of classic. Right? Basically, it was just a rebrand. Like we just changed, changed the world. Like it was like, like from the start, it was like, wow, this is a rock and roll beer. You know, it's like totally a rock and roll beer. Easy exactly. drinking. Don't worry about it. Uh, knock it down. Hundred percent Australian or well, WA malt. Um, real simple uh, malt profile. Real simple hop profile. Real simple uh, yeast and. Um, yeah, fermented, uh, you know, uh, gently and delicately, and um, yeah, and uh, I'm I've been really surprised by how well it's taken off, and um, and it's a boring brew day, which is a good brew day. <laughs> I think at Mojo's Lager at Mojo's, which is a cool bit. So we still yeah. we still keep Mojo's Lager from yeah. Mojo's. Yeah, so they get a, spe- a special rebrand just for their venue, yeah. and uh, yeah, so well, they hold it near and dear. Yeah. Mm. It's a great answer because I mean, part of the reason why we ask the cool room question is because we like to pull the curtain back and see some of the the less exciting or less pleasant sides. But actually <laughs> pulling the curtain back and just having the honest conversation about we didn't think this would work, but mm. it's gone gangbusters, is the same sort of thing. Like for all the clever plans, sometimes something just works in the market. 100%. I think I think when you're really close to everything, um, you don't have the same perspective about what's going to work as just, you know, because at the end of the day, it's not brewers buying all our beer. It's just it's regular folks, you know, lay people. And so you can you can you can try and be too clever. And I've definitely guilty of it in the past. Try and be too clever with stuff. It's like, oh, that doesn't work. Let's just simplify it, pull it back, make make it make it accessible, you know? And you also think about the places that we, you know, that we I mean, you, you can buy a beer in, in retail shops, bottle shops, pubs, on-premise venues, anywhere, right? But, like, you know, we we actively seek out partnerships with places that have, you know, live music connections, arts and culture connections, all that sort of stuff. And you think about those environments and they, if you go to a festival, if you go to a live music bar sort of thing, like, the types of beers that people are drinking mm. are fast-paced, thrown-down kind of lagers, right? Like that classic territory and also and also like beer is not supposed to be exclusive you know like it's supposed to be uh you know for everyone you know we want want, we want people to try a new thing we want people to feel part of the conversation you know you don't want to like you know yeah you don't want to ostracize people make them feel like they're not sophisticated enough for this thing you want to have something that everyone can that everyone that's successful you know Hmm. and 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 then you start talking to them about your your bullshit quad dry hops you know (laughs) 
I love it. I love the tenor of the answer. I love the phrase, uh, we should listen to the voices of the lay people. Uh, we should, we should, because that's, that's what, that's the cool room. That's always been the cool rooms catchphrase. In fact, we actually say we should let the lay people ask their questions. Or is that actually a really niche? That was smooth, man. That was really smooth. That was super smooth. I'm going to be, I'm going to continue on David's example. And because we were talking about festivals, I think Mark's question is the best one for right now. Um, we'll move from music festivals to beer festivals. Mark, would you like to ask your question for us, please? Yeah, no worries. You caught me off guard, but that's good. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. Sensational night, um, and I love the chat. Uh, I was over last June last year, I think it was. Is that WA Day? I thought I recognised you, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it was beer week over there or something like that, and um, yep. it, it was sensational, but... Unfortunately, the first major bar I went to to sit down was Two Birds took over the bloody place. I and love Two Birds, and, and that's not, <laughs> that's not. I don't think that's a native uh, West Australian um, brand anyway. But um, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Danny oh, and Jane yes, are both sorry, from yeah, yeah, so, Sorry, he does yeah. come. Yeah, they do come from until, there. Until now, they? this yeah. was such yeah. an easy edit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I shouldn't be too much of a smart ass. I got to be caught there, didn't I? But, um, no, um, I went, went over there, it was sensational, and then went down to Frio um, and went, went to, uh, yeah, Sail and Anchor, where I was uh, when right. I was a 20-year-old. I think that was the first, one of the first brew pubs I ever went into, and I was, um, and they've still got the tanks there, which is sensational to see out, out the back. Until um, now, this was such an easy edit. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, Dave, but anyway, um, travelling over there, which I've done a couple of times, when is a good time for a, a good festival over there? Like Beer Week was okay, but do you guys get a big festival happening um, that includes Frio as well as main, mainstream Perth? Um, yeah, Absolutely. That's so there, there, there's two major festivals that I think are, are really worth traveling over for in WA. Um, one is uh, Frio Beer Fest, um, which is on the Esplanade, um, under the big Norfolk Pines, absolutely beautiful. Directly, like the, the big, the Esplanade Park is directly across from Little Creatures. So mm-hmm. it's between the main drag of Fremantle and Little Creatures on the water. Um, absolutely fantastic. I, it's, it's, it's one of the few that I would go to if I didn't work in the industry just because I love it. Great mm-hmm. operator is great. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Um, uh, and just like kind of an old school kind of beer fest. Great. Another one is that's also fantastic. I think it's called Froth Town these days. It was Perth Craft Beer Fest, I think, for a bit. But that is that is like the opposite end of the spectrum and like super slick and really cool. And that's in Claremont, just kind of up the coast uh, towards Perth. Um, and just a really, really good, uh, really well put together festival that has a lot more kind of visitors. So Frio Beer Fest is specifically WA and, uh, and uh, Froth Town is like, you know, you get you get the the fancy uh, American, um, you know, uh, hype breweries. You get a lot of the East Coast guys. You get some, uh, you know, fun uh, mixed fermentation stuff. And yeah, that's that's that's, that's more of a kind of beer carnival. Right? Yeah, it's beer like carnival is a really good 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 term for it. Yeah, so th- those are those are two um, great times. Uh, I um, yeah, like um, Hertz always really uh, a good. There's, there's, aside from winter, it's always great to visit. Um, 
But winter for Perth, it just means that everyone goes goes into hibernation and it's still like 15 degrees, you know, so. Uh, cool. So, so where are you guys? You're mainly situated in, in Prio. Are you trying to get your brand out there at the festivals? Like, is it worth your while going to all these festivals? Um, we don't go to all the festivals anymore. No. We, we, we definitely did in the early days. Um, but uh, there's a kind of, you know, like uh, there's a, there's a reduced uh, value once you've been around for a few years and everyone knows who you are. You don't have to really, you know, like, uh, you know, scrape the boot leather as much as you used to. Um, now we just go for the big ones that we really enjoy because we're selfish. And I think, and I think you'll also find that, like, that attention and, and like, um, scale that we would have done at, at beer festivals before, now we're transitioning into the, the areas that we want to reinforce mm. other side in, right, which is like live music places it's cool cultural events it's you know um this initiative at the airport right like it's coming into places that people haven't seen a beer brand in before and we're yeah. saying hey what if we come in and just like transition this place into something that could be you know great for craft beer fans and, and anybody that wants this something yeah. you know thank you so much guys i'll better shut up as well thanks mark great question yeah terrific question um maybe we'll go to shana next uh, Shana, would you like to ask your question to the guys? No, you shouldn't, because now I kind of want to, like, segue into how I had to do two weeks of lockdown only for one minute <laughs> after my lockdown period ended, the rest of Australia was allowed to enter. <laughs> I like your hat. <laughs> now, I put on your crew brush. That's the, can I say, that's the perfect answer to that statement. statement. <laughs> yeah, that was the perfect yeah. Um, so I, I should like we were we were smack talking states and yeah. capital cities earlier, and and this is a genuine question. It's not yeah. not smack talk. Yeah. Um, but do you think that being based in WA hinders your understanding? Sort of when I say understanding, because you're not immersed in the rest of the East Coast mm-hmm. in the way, um, the Australian beer market. And I sort of back this up with this is not the first WA brewery that we've had on. That hazy was something that they put on the back burner thinking it's just a fad, it's just a fad, we don't want to do it, we don't want to play this game. And mm. then like three years later, we probably should make a hazy. So, like, that's one thing. And then I also just, even when I was over there, vocabulary around beer was very different when i talked I about genuinely art. thought you were just gonna say just vocabulary and just leave it at that point no i, I told you this wasn't yeah, what are tubs? <laughs> no just like i was talking about a hype beer and mm. i was referencing a, a quite well-known brewery in brisbane like i think we can sort of put that together in terms of branding and style but yeah. Yeah, like they, they just were not people that I knew in the beer industry were not acknowledging that as a term, whereas in the East Coast that was what everyone was trying to make. Um, okay. Sorry. So, so for, uh, to go back to the start, I never thought that uh, Hazy was passing fad. I, I don't, I'm sorry if, I, if it seemed like I was saying that. What I was saying was that I, we, we made maybe, you know, a dozen Hazies before we launched a Core Range one because my concern was having something sit on the shelf um, and not knowing how old it is. I didn't want someone to unfairly judge the beer that we initially made um, because uh, uh, it maybe got mistreated and sat on the shelf for nine months and then they tasted it for the first time. They're like, oh, these guys suck at making beer. You know, like, 
I, I wasn't I wasn't dismissive of of hazy ears or you know the the trend at all. I kind of knew from the first one I had. I was like, oh, this this is a thing. You know, it's not like um uh uh you know brute IPA or anything like that. It's like you can spot that. It's like that's a trend. That's going to die in pumpkin a year. beers. They go well. I mean, forever. but I mean, but, they last, but pumpkin they last. beers is a great example of saying that has stood the test of time. It's been around for fifty hey, years. Hey, there's just no not volume. Just a pretty face. Um. <laughs> Uh, then you said about uh, are we not immersed? Um, one thing that I used to really like about traveling to the East Coast, which has gone away, is that you used to be able to like go to a go to Sydney or Melbourne or Adelaide or you know like uh, I didn't visit Brisbane all that much because I was neglecting it, but I went there for the first time last year. It was amazing. Um, but one thing that you used to be able to do is like find this uh, um, unique culture to a city, and I think the internet has really flattened that. And and that's it's got positives and negatives to it. I think the positive to it is I don't think we are that um, uh, ignorant or naive to the trends on the east coast. I think I think we're really across that because you know like I'm probably in all the same groups that you are on Facebook or whatever. Like uh, you know like. You know, we're, we're, we're always involved in those kind of conversations and watching those trends and all that kind of stuff. Um, but on the other hand, it's kind of there's there's this loss of uh, of, of um, individuality amongst different cities that I, I, I kind of lament, I guess. To your point, you got to service this market still too, though, right? I mean, like yeah. the, the mainstay of the, the beer drinkers and the, the crowd that we're speaking to and serving to and you know engaging with all the time are, are people that are here, right? So if they're if that's not evolved to the to the place that somebody that lives in, you know, they, that frequents DeGray Street every yeah. every two days or something, you know, it's it's different. So you I mean you make beers that you're like, hey, wait, I know about this stuff, and this would be a really great adaptation of that. Yeah, right? yeah, and but but also I also think there's that there's an attitude difference between West Australian crappy drinks and East Coast crappy drinkers. Where it's like. I was bringing Maryville for a while and it was almost impossible to find a beer from outside of Maryville. Mm. Everyone was so parochial. Um, and everyone was like, local is best, all that kind of stuff. Whereas in Western Australia, it's quite the opposite. Even though, you know, like we've got such a strong and healthy craft beer industry, um, a lot of people put a premium on something that's from the East Coast or from America or from Europe or something like that. There's like a, there's like um, uh, a reflexive kind of cringe on stuff that's locally produced in my experience. Um, I'd like to shake that. I'd like that not to be a thing, but it's definitely something that I've come across where, like, uh, if something's from over east, it's considered to be better uh, just simply because it's more expensive. And it's fascinating because we had the team from Range on the other night, um, you know, really fun brewers. But they, yeah. were, they were saying literally that they had a diary thing in their computer to say, start brewing dark beers for Melbourne just to remind themselves that there's this a different market. And for sure. someone who is so immersed in the Melbourne market, it was mm. like, what do you mean you're not making dark beers, you know, ready for <laughs> rollout in May, June? And yeah, my mouth is always the same temperature. You know, I can beers whenever <laughs> there Ah, oh, that's interesting. So, and like, that's Stouts in February is okay. Like, Stouts in yeah, February. I, I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, totally. Um, and also brings up a point that Mark made. It's like when when people from the East Coast go to WA, we want to try Western Australian beers. We want to mm. definitely get immersed in that. Like we can get everything over here and it's fine. It's great. But 
yeah, we, we want to hear, see what the locals are doing. So it's, I think that's, that's part of it too. Um, and also, you can't get everything over there. Like, there's a lot of fantastic producers in the southwest and stuff like that that, that don't export. Um, yeah. They've been to Perth, let alone over east. You know, it's just um, just the tyranny of distance thing. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, and it's I exciting. Didn't get to- the second half of my sandwich on Warren, which was that I I was also really really surprised not only by the amount of stuff that was east coast of New Zealand over there, um, but also by at venues which I only just realized is now called beer corner I thought it was petition when I was there yeah um, kind of both kind of the same thing yeah yeah like they they were really really into um local beers mm-hmm. with the exception of a few really high-end imports and imports that we don't even see in Victoria yeah. or certainly not on tap anyway so that's that's not to say that WA is not seeing stuff just not being immersed was sort of my question. And then also, I mean, you go to somewhere like, and this isn't high, high end, but Clancy's Fish Bar is mm. an amazing place to go and just drink WA beers in a very low-key environment. Clancy's, like- Clancy's is, is literally one of the uh, primary reasons why the WA uh industry was successful in the early days before you guys had heard of craft beer it was being championed by the the you know i think they probably only had two venues then but now they got four um fancy's uh fish pub and fish bar and, and all their various venues are absolutely um just really one of the unsung heroes of the entire australian craft beer scene like we're the ones who were who were buying kegs off people like john stallwood at nail and little creatures and feral and stuff in the early days. Um, anyone else would give those guys the time of day, and they paved the way for everything else in the time. You know what they do, and they still continue to do it now. Is they 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 talk about all beer the same, so mm. they don't make it a thing. They don't say, "Hey, we're like the, the you know this craft beer fish pub." Yeah, they just say these are our great taps. These are the great beers we have on right now. They have amazing staff that champion know local beers but they don't talk about it like it's something that's inaccessible yeah they talk it's beer yeah that's that's kind of the the best bit about them is they just say come and have some awesome beers and it it it, it takes away that like that that barrier to entry for Mm. people that you know might otherwise not have a harvest red ale or uh yeah you know they look at it and they're like maybe i'll give it a crack just normal beer this guy doesn't think it's weird yeah when when we're talking about like making beer not pretentious and accessible to people um i honestly can't think of a better example than than what what the the crew do at clan it's really really and low-key their food is is tasty especially i i grew up in in places where like like seafood should be amazing, like down on the Ballerine Peninsula around Geelong. And it's just taken a massive back step. Yeah, going around WA, like and that was part of it. Clancy's was a great experience. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, totally right. They've, they've got, the, you can tell they care. And it's really mm. fantastic that there's, there's those type of venues. Yeah, no, it's really good. I've, 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 uh, I've been seeing to Clancy's since long, uh, way before I was legally able to drink. Um, <laughs> I think there's statute limitations that I can say that now, but yeah, no, great place. Two audience questions left. Let's move right on. Uh, Jane, do you want to unmute and ask your question, please? Hey, Jane. Hi, Jane. 
Hello, hello guys. Thank you. Um, I I think Sean actually said the word branding, and so I'm actually interested in the artwork on your cans. Mm. So I think most of them, like all your your core range, up so you hold up the the non core range. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But, the, the core range is all, yeah, got the barrel under the balloon and it's all, it seems like really retro. So apart from, yes, the one you held up, which is the creative release. And I'm, I love that you've got the, the artist on the, on the can. Yeah. I'm interested in how you got to that. Um, it's sort of like an art deco-y retro sort of look for your, for your core range. Like, how did you come up with that? Uh, yeah, I, I can speak on that one. You can speak on the original. I can toggle on the evolution. Okay, this is good. So uh, um, double barreled, no pun intended. So uh, we we had a we had a guy uh, called Julian uh, who's um, who was he came from the um, the um, uh, music festival side of things, and when he he was tasked with kind of doing the initial branding of it, and his view is like other side can kind of sound a little bit sinister. And then he was just reading a book to his his small child, and there was this like this hot air balloon, and he's like, "There's just no negative associations with the hot air balloon. Like it's this kind of like it's, it's the others, you know, it's it's kind of this fanciful kind of yeah, you know, and it's but it's got this kind of like really um, whimsical kind of quality to it. And he thought that that would be a really good um, uh, interpretation of the name other side because otherwise, you know, uh, it, it could be perceived as something. Of, more negative i think was his perspective and i'd never thought about it from that way because i'd already like by, by my first day there was already the balloon concept um because it was obviously you know concept before they brought a brewer on um and yeah i i love it i've, I've always liked it um but yeah do you want to talk on the evolution well it's just and over time it's it's become this thing that's like an homage to old school but you know in kind of a forever moving contemporary way so we say like okay hot air balloon how many people have actually been on a hot air balloon it's not like a you know you don't do this every day mm. so it can be a bit fanciful and 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 you know the the sashes on it and the oval just become this thing that that's really consistent for us and you know everything other side does you'll see a balloon in it because that that's the thing that you can do with people you can say hey this is like the icon it's like the bat signal right and when you when you see it you're probably about to have a really great time and you're probably about to have a really great beer. And so you kind of see that in everything that we do. And over time, it's just going to get clearer and clearer. There's going to be less clutter in, in all the balloon stuff. Um, because yeah, it's that, it's that delivery of like, you know, this aspirational, you know, place that you can be in without any of the negative connotation of other stuff. Also, there's been a few people, uh, that I've known that have got tattoos of it over the years. And I absolutely don't think that would have happened if it wasn't for the balloon. <laughs> uh, can, can you name some names there? Oh, mate, yeah. Uh, like, uh, uh, we've got a, a sales rep, Bodie, who uh, had the balloon for years before she even started working for us. Fangirl. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there's a... There's a are we talking little little ankle balloon or full back? Yeah, pretty, pretty like solid. Yeah, 80... 80 mill like big thing i i had I, I there's another guy uh called uh amos who was um uh keen on getting the balloon i was like don't get the balloon man it's just like don't get a logo on you i don't know into that so he ended up getting my signature from the can tattooed on his ass and i think that's probably worse <laughs> uh, but it does it does remind me of the great steve o and his pickup line yeah oh, yes. you know what I mean? whatever yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Moving right along, James, you're going to round us out for the recorded part of tonight's podcast with an excellent return to discussing actual beers and what go into them. James. Quite the honour, David. Thank you. And uh, great to hear from you, uh, Reese and Braden. I'm going to sneak in a question. I want to know where Braden's from in Canada. Yeah, so I I grew up in a <laughs> in a really small town called Brandon. So I'm Braden from Brandon. I was guessing Saskatchewan, but very close. We Manitoba, so Manitoba. And I really Manitoba, want to hear right. that you're you're on one side of the river and Brenda is on the other side of the city. Uh, other side yeah, of the she, river. She she very well might be <laughs> Dolores. No, nah, so it's it's like basically it's the geographical center of North America. Like if you threw a dart and you hit the very middle of North America, That's including Mexico, everything, <laughs> all of North America. Wow. You forget? Anyway, that wasn't my question, but I I'm yeah, really but, but, uh, in what, Canadian what, what map are you talking about? I, I can, I, I, I can see up. a massive edit coming up in the podcast here while we go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I've created a calamity. Um, but what I really wanted to know about was. Um, you've talked a bit about, um, you know, your connection to land and the, you know, the malt that you use as local. But you also talked about using Big Secret and some of your drops, and and I wondered where you get that from, and and also by extension whether you, I don't think they're, you know, WA hops that you're using, but no. maybe you can correct us on that. But but also if you've thought about using experimental hops from elsewhere. Uh, yeah, so we use, um, mostly Victorian and Tasmanian hops, um, specifically like of, of our Australian hops. So we use, we use a bit of Kiwi hops, we use a fair few American hops and a little bit of German hops, not that much. Um, West Australia's hop, uh, um, uh, industry is really in its infancy. There's a few good local producers down South. Um, but where the way that my, my kit is set up, I can't use whole hop cones. Um, so, you know, like, I, you know, they, they, every, every now and then they'll, they'll send me an email and be like, guys, I'd really want to use your stuff when you get a pelletizer, let's have a chat. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't transfer beer out of like out of tank with what I've got if it's using whole hop cones. So, um, yeah, I'm just hoping that they can, they can start, um, uh, kind of investing in their kind of thing, and then I, then I can definitely start using their stuff more. Um, we do use a, a bit of experimental hops, um, just in terms of new varietals. Um, we use some new stuff from from HPA that does the you know HPA makes all the uh, Vic Secret and Galaxy in the world. Um, uh, I use um, you know like uh, experimental stuff from Yakima Chief in, in America and stuff like that. Um, we've actually got a beer that we're just uh, pulling out of tank at the moment, which is an American-style hazy IPA, but with uh, 100% German hops and yeast, um, which is really interesting. So that's using an, an experimental Amarillo um, cultivar grown in, Mex- uh, grown in Mexico, grown in Germany, close to Mexico. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can say. Um, uh, but then it's, it's picked really early, and so it has a lot of like tropical expression and stuff. Um, and then, and then, like a, a, a traditional kind of coal style, you treat really, really badly, and it uh, almost behaves like a, a New England IPA yeast. And um, yeah, and then so that's coming out soon. It's like a German hazy. Um, so you know, like we we do experiment a little bit. Um, 
uh, with that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's there's ones that I just know and love. Galaxy, Citra, Mosaic, Extra, you know, that kind of stuff. Do you reckon we'll see some kegs here in Victoria? Because occasionally we're lucky enough to see them in Brunswick. Mm. Um, I don't have any idea because my job ends at the cool room. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I hope so. Like, um, I'll, I'll say yes. All right. It's, uh, there it's, you a, go. It's, yes. a, it's a yes and it's, it's, a, it's a when question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yes yeah. and, and no. I'll let you know. <laughs> um, I've got... One more. I'm going to let Mark. And now, can I trust you, Mark, to quickly ask this question? No, I can't. Oh no, he's put his hands up. Don't worry about. It. Um, are there some East Coast breweries that you you guys uh, like and follow, and uh, are friends of yours? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, uh, you know, I don't get enough of it, but I love uh, Three Ravens. Mm. Uh, you know, a huge fan of, uh, of, of, you know, stuff that Marsden does at Hawkers. Um, you know, I, I, I love range. I like, you know, ballistic. Um, I really like uh, Charlie Hodgson's another um, WA export. Um, I can't wait to see what he was doing. He was doing some really cool stuff at um, uh, Helios. Um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, for sessionable stuff, I think Stonewood's great. Um, um yeah. oh, man if you're talking like 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 brand like really great beer brands that are doing really great stuff mm. connecting with heaps of people young henry's is yeah. doing awesome yeah. stuff um really really clear on what they're about and who they're about and everything it's 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 great i'm sure you guys are aware of this fox friday is building a brewery in wa so, now, um so, which I'm about love yeah. their stuff yeah. um yeah man um yeah uh, oh, and and to add to that what's a brewery we all need to need to dig out or travel over to WA to find, apart from you guys, who, who we definitely have to go down find. to Go down to Denmark. There's, there's two. Country. There's two. Uh, Artisan, which is a gypsy operation that specialises in Belgian styles. Cool. Uh, and another uh, southwest one is Wild Hop. Um, Wild all hazy stuff, no packaging, great venue. You go there, book food, uh, book in advance and get the whole chicken. I think you need like 48 hours notice. Amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shit, yeah. All right, excellent. Well, with that, let's call it a night. Thank you, guys. It's been amazing. If you want to find Other Side Brewing online, you could just search Other Side Brewing on Instagram there, other side underscore CO. Um, but otherwise, yeah, search it. You'll find them. They're amazing. Uh, thank you very much for your time. We've had It's been great. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we, we hear from you again soon. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, it's been great. Appreciate it. Thank you.